we need Julian Assange. And one thing I want to say to you today is, it is not only that he is the victim of torture, it is not only that his life is at stake, it is not only the will to save him from a dreadful injustice, we also want to save him because the world needs Julian Assange as a symbol and fighter for liberty. was Craig Murray at the very top. Uh, that was footage of Craig uh, at the um, Ecuadorian embassy a few years back and under surveillance uh, by a company called UC Global. And that is the theme of this show. We are going to talk about this evil outfit that worked for Sheldon Adelson in Las Vegas, who was working for Mike Pompeo. Uh, to uh, spy on Julian Assange. So that's why we had that at the beginning. Uh, we got a very big show today. We have um, uh, Stefania Monizzi, who was, uh, was the focus of uh, the uh, Morales investigation and surveillance, and the guy who wrote today's article uh, in the Gray Zone. The Gray Zone, that's it, the Gray Zone, uh, .com or .org. Max Blumenthal wrote this great piece today uh, and we're going to interview him first, uh, and it's an explosive uh, bombshell type of, 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 uh, of article that he wrote, a lot of new revelations. He really digs in deep into it and makes a lot of revelations like a good uh, investigative journalist uh, does. Uh, my name is Randy Credico. This is Randy Credico Live on the Fly, uh, and... Um, this is Assange Countdown to Freedom. I've done so many of these. This is uh, episode 21. Uh, Kelly Lane is uh, engineering in North Carolina and Jimmy Sunderland in uh, California. So uh, we are uh, just going to get right into it, uh, folks. Uh, we, we are a little bit of, uh, we got Max the Knife. We're going to play a little Louis Armstrong and Mac the Knife and come right back on the other side and talk about this explosive article today in, in the gray zone by uh, Max Blumenthal. Be right back. Oh, the shock has pretty deep deal and he shows them fairly white just a jackknife as Mac he did and he keeps it out of sight when the shop bites with his teeth, dear, scarlet billows start to spread. Fancy gloves, though, where's my heat, dear? So there's not a trace of red. Oh, on the sidewalk, Sunday morning. Lies a body losing life. Someone sneaking around the corner. Is that someone back tonight? Yeah. 
I'm a tugboat. Okay, that was uh, Satchmo, Louis Armstrong, Mac the Knife, Max the Knife. And we actually have the real Mac Max the Knife on the show at this point, and that's the great investigative journalist uh, who has about a million books out there and uh, is like the head guy at the Gray Zone Project, Gray Zone News, and that's my good friend making this, it's like the trifecta now, uh, third time on um, Live on the Fly, Hassan's Countdown to Freedom this year. Uh, good to see you, Max. Good to see you. This is a uh, nice is, bookshelf. Huh? You like that? Yeah. Okay. Just don't comment on the tie. But uh, it's it's great. Uh, Max, uh, you're not wearing your mask. Do you ever wear a mask? Yeah, actually, uh, I was lucky enough to find a mask in my basement that I was using last year on a construction project that's a uh, N95 mask. So I have the most coveted mask. But I don't wear it when I'm walking down the street. I see people wearing their mask walking down the street, and it just feels weird, especially in DC where there just aren't that many people on the street. It seems like they just like wearing masks. Yeah. Well, I definitely needed a mask uh, back in January when I took the uh, mega bus back from the... Uh, you need like a full biohazard suit on the mega bus. The mega bus. That's the last time I leave late from DC. But uh, Max, I got to tell you something. This piece, uh, as I... Uh, was talking about in the opening that is out today uh, at Gray Zone News. Uh, Gray Zone News, a Gray Zone pro project. Is it? Grayzone.com. Just Grayzone.com. The Grayzone.com. The Grayzone.com. This, this is uh, like, now I've been reading, as I said before, about UC Global. I even got a small part in it. But uh, th this is like all new shit to me. Excuse my language, and I won't do that again. But a lot of this stuff is like new to me. Uh, this is like a tome, man. It's 5,200 words. What, uh, what drove you into writing about UC Global? And how did you find all of these new nuggets? Well, there is an ongoing investigation into illegal activity by this Spanish security contractor, UC Global, run by former Spanish Special Forces officer, David Morales, uh, by a Spanish court. And the Spanish, a Spanish judge authorized a secret, uh, basically like a secret plan to arrest Morales, obtain all of his phones, um, de-encrypt the data in his phones, obtain company emails after company employees and a former business partner of Morales came forward to uh, Julian Assange's legal team and basically divulged that they were spying on Assange, his lawyers, his American friends, including you, uh, journalists, and even Ecuadorian diplomats at the Ecuadorian embassy in London. Um, they were conducting illegal activity, and it appears pretty clear that they were doing it on behalf of Mike Pompeo's CIA. Um, yeah. And this has, you know, been reported in bits and pieces by El País, the Spanish Daily, the New York Times did a piece on it. But what I have that's new here, um, in addition to a lot of new detail about the spying operation and the, the gross misconduct that was carried out by what appears to have been a CIA, CIA contractor, UC Global, um, basically 
lying to their Ecuadorian clients, lying to the Ecuadorian government, concealing the spying operation from them, is uh, I've identified the middlemen, the people who were kind of the front for this vast spying ring. And these are the directors of Sheldon Adelson's security team at Las Vegas Sands. Um, Wait a second. Wait a second. Tell us who Sheldon Adelson is. Sheldon Adelson is uh, one of the single most influential figures in Trump world. He is an ultra Zionist billionaire consistently on the top 10 list of uh, Forbes most wealthy Americans who spent his vast fortune to help get Donald Trump elected after trying to unseat Barack Obama and stop the Iran deal. Adelson's motivated by two things. Number one, support for Israel, and specifically the Israel of Benjamin Netanyahu. And number two, expanding his global casino empire and resort empire, which extends from Las Vegas to Macau in Chinese territory in the People's Republic of China. And one of the things I did in this investigation is actually connect uh, two times when Adelson's Las Vegas Sands appeared to have acted as a front for the CIA. First, um, I got documents that were reported on previously by papers like The Guardian um, that were, th- these documents basically were a report produced by a private uh, investigator that had been hired by the casino industry on the use of CIA operatives at the Macau um, Las Vegas Sands Casino um, by U.S. intelligence to blackmail Chinese officials who are gambling at the casino in order to turn them into informants. Basically, we caught you spending all this money at the casino. We showed that you're corrupt. Um, Now go into the Chinese government and inform for us. So that was in 2015 when that was revealed. And that same year, Adelson's Las Vegas Sands, or it, it was actually a year later, recruited David Morales, apparently on behalf of the CIA, to spy on Julian Assange. So Morales, at the time, in 2016, he had a contract to guard the children of the president of Ecuador, Rafael Correa, who was a leftist who had given asylum to Julian Assange. And because Morales's company, UC Global, this private small-time security contractor, was based in Spain, he rolled that contract into guarding Assange at the embassy in, Lo- in London because Correa needed someone who was EU-based who could just handle that. And so Morales realized, you know, this is a guy who, who wanted to be the next Eric Prince. He wanted to have this global Blackwater army for hire that would give him connections at the highest level, connections in Washington. He, uh, he realized he Wait had- Wait a, a second, Max. Yeah. Can I just ask you this? Yeah. Why did Correa pick him? Did he do he just picked he, him. Be, it was kind of like picking someone out of a hat, but he, really he was the only person that could easily come over with his team and provide security at the embassy in London just because he was based in the EU, in the Schengen zone in Spain. So they just had this connection with an EU-based contractor, so they just gave it to him, wow. not knowing that this guy was one of extremely devious. So... Morales realizes, I'm guarding Julian Assange. He's a top target of U.S. intelligence. Uh, Let me see what I can do with this. So he goes to a security fair 
in Las Vegas in July 2016, which I think was being hosted at the Las Vegas Sands Expo in Las Vegas. Right. And there, according to a witness, he is approached by the top bodyguard of Sheldon Adelson named Zohar Lahav, who is an Israeli, uh, former, I think, former Israeli intelligence um, basically Adelson surrounded himself with former intelli Israeli intelligence uh, officials as his bodyguard team. Not and from the Mossad necessarily, right? What's that? Not from the Mossad. Uh, some appear to have either been from the Mossad or the Shin Bet, which is Israel's general security service. And uh, we can get more into that, but Lahav, uh, you know, who is basically Adelson's body man in charge of his executive protection team, approaches Morales at the security fair and recruits him uh, to for this spying operation targeting Julian Assange at the embassy in London. And the cover was that he had a contract to protect Adelson uh, on his yacht and elsewhere, but it was just a, a, a fake cover. So it looks like Lahav was kind of acting as the, the middleman between the CIA and uh, UC Global. And as I mentioned before, Las Vegas Sands had acted as a front for the CIA in the past, according to this investigation. So Adelson runs back to um, Jerez de la Frontera, which is uh, the base of UC Global in southern Spain, and he starts bragging to his fellow employees, we're, we're playing in the first division now. We're playing in the big leagues. I'm going to get all of these new contracts because um, I'm working with the Americans. And that was because he'd just been recruited by Adelson, but he's alluding to U.S. intelligence and the protected... That's in court documents. That's in court documents that he said uh, he's working with the Americans. Yeah, and it's been reported in other publications. Um, but, you know, the, the protected witnesses in, in, in the testimony that I've uh, obtained and, and seen, they make it very clear, much more clear, they're much more explicit than has been previously reported that Morales was working on behalf of American intelligence. I mean, the New York Times said it's unclear what role the Americans played in spying on Assange, but it's very clear here. So you, what, what winds up happening is in the middle of 2017, according to the witnesses, this is a former business partner, of Morales and two uh, former employees, the people who came forward and dimed him out, um, or basically came forward and blew the whistle on his what appeared to be criminal activity by him. Wait a second. How big was his uh, was his staff? Well, it's a small staff, and and you know they were playing in the minor leagues before this. Um, but the only people who really mattered were this former business partner who he divulged everything to. And the employees, including people who appear to have been at the embassy. Um, but, you know, they had a small security team at the embassy who were just following orders. And the orders came in starting in mid-2017 to not only place microphones inside the cameras. The cameras at the embassy were just standard CCTV cameras before that point. And they were recording, you know, who was coming in and out. They were trying to prevent intruders from coming in. Their goal is to protect Assange, who had asylum at the time, legal asylum, and to protect the embassy staff. What they did was they turned that whole system into a spying intrusion system, apparently on behalf of the CIA. And they were getting instructions in English, which is a dead giveaway here, 
to put microphones in to the cameras to, you know, when Julian Assange started using white noise in the conference room where you met with him uh, because he felt that he was being spied on to slip a magnetic microphone on the fire extinguisher in the conference room so they could listen through the white noise to get a microphone into the women's bathroom where Assange was meeting uh, for very sensitive conversations with his lawyers. And then the most remarkable uh, component of the spying operation that I obtained were, was a slideshow, a PowerPoint presentation written in perfect English, clearly not written by David Morales, who is a native Spanish speaker, um, who writes almost everything to his employees in Spanish, written in perfect English, explaining how uh, his UC Global team can turn these cameras uh, into a, can create a separate feed on these cameras for the Americans, those he refers to as the American friends, with another feed and another entirely different login system for the Ecuadorian ser uh, security services who they're supposed to be working for. So they're feeding video with sound and everything to the quote unquote American friends, apparently the CIA. Yeah, well, wait a second, man. Now Adelson's not getting this. And just before you continue there, what would be Adelson's um, motivation here? Was he like someone that wanted to get Assange? Obviously somebody went to him. Yeah, so, so I'm building, like, let me just build you up got to it, that. Man. So, so we have these, we have this perfect English slideshow. You have these instructions that were given to Morales on how to create this separate feed for the Americans so that the Ecuadorians and the Ecuadorian government, which is protecting Assange, doesn't know this spying operation is taking place. When David Morales received that PowerPoint presentation and then emailed it to his employees and his team at the London embassy, he was emailing from a static IP address at the Venetian Hotel, which is owned by Sheldon Adelson in Las Vegas. So he was getting these instructions from someone who was working in Las Vegas Sands in Adelson's security team. Now, who would that be? I can't, I, I, I can't confirm this, but the head of Sheldon Adelson's security team is named Brian Nagel, and he is someone who created the, uh, the teams and the systems within U.S. government that would have been used against Julian Assange and WikiLeaks as soon as WikiLeaks came online in 2010. Brian Nagel, who's currently the head of Las Vegas Sands security, uh, was the former deputy uh, director of the U.S. Secret Service. And a lot of people, they associate the Secret Service with, uh, you know, guys in dark suits, grim bodyguards with aviator glasses, glasses talking into their sleeves um, <laughs> surrounding the president. But the Secret Service is actually the uh, top cybercrime investigating agency in the U.S. And they coordinate closely with the FBI and U.S. intelligence and Nagel set up uh, the LA cybercrime operations room with the FBI. He's been on stage with John Ashcroft when Ashcroft was attorney general uh, to introduce a new cybercrime fighting initiative. He set up a system that actually employed hacking to take down a cybercrime syndicate um, called shadowcrew.com. And his last act before leaving government 
in 2008 was helping the Department of Homeland Security set up its own cybercrime fighting initiative in which the then DHS director, Michael Chertoff, described uh, using tools that the hackers use to turn the tables on them. So Nagel is someone who actually knows how to do hacking. He knows he would have known how to create this PowerPoint presentation that was used to spy on Assange. And so basically Adelson has everyone he needs within his own financial and political empire to make this operation happen. And the final person that we, that kind of squares the circle here. I mean, I could go on and on about people in Adelson's empire who are also in Trump world, but the most important figure is Mike Pompeo, who was the CIA director. And I believe, um, you know, if you read this story, you'll get a pretty clear indication that Adelson played an influential role in making Mike Pompeo CIA director uh, in Pompeo's elevation to secretary of state, where he's, you know, enacting the maximum pressure campaign against Iran. But in Pompeo's first speech as CIA director, um, and I think this is one of the most overlooked uh, moments in the history of the Trump administration, Pompeo launched into this resentful, paranoid diatribe against Assange, and he identified WikiLeaks as the agency's top target. He said, they're no longer going to be able to use our own free speech codes against us. We're going to call them out. And he outlined a series of countermeasures he would take against them, which really uh, foreshadowed the campaign that was actually employed under the watch of UC Global through Las Vegas Sands with the CIA apparently serving as the guiding hand here. But it appears pretty clear to me that someone like Brian Nagel could have been the perfect liaison to interface between the CIA, Las Vegas Sands, and UC Global. And he is the director of security for Sheldon Adelson Sands. Well, you know, it, I don't understand why Sheldon Adelson himself would have uh, any kind of uh, motivation. Uh, I know he's a hawk on Israel and he's uh, anti uh, anti-Palestinian uh, and all of that. He's a real hawkish anti-Palestinian. Uh, and, uh, but I, I, I don't understand why he would himself, with, 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 with those sentiments, uh, you know, would necessitate uh, spying on Julian Assange unless he was doing it for somebody else. Well, it looks as though he was doing it to kind of help out the Trump administration. He also was helping kind of helping them push back on Russiagate. Um, but, you know, there's a long history of billionaires serving as CIA cutouts and it benefits them in so many ways. It helps them with favorable contracts. They get the U.S. government uh, protecting them as they expand their empire. So I can't really speak to Adelson's motivation, but there are a lot of indications uh, that he at least had ver a very close relationship with Mike Pompeo. And since Pompeo started uh, an exploratory committee for a potential Senate campaign in Kansas, it's been reported that he's identified Sheldon Adelson as his top donor, um, as wow. the real money man for his potential Senate run. Everybody seems to go to him. I know that uh, Newt Gingrich went to him, uh, Ted Cruz went to uh, Adelson, and they all become very hawkish. Uh, 
when it comes to uh, Israel and their uh, uh, situation uh, there, the, the siege of Gaza. Uh, and so, and Trump, of course, he totally reflects Adelson's uh, vision of completely. The, to, I mean, it's totally moving the, uh, the, the, the capital uh, to uh, Jerusalem and all of that. Um, this is Adelson's stated goal. This is why he plowed his money into the Trump campaign. And Adelson is also uh, a top patron to Benjamin Netanyahu. So when you saw Trump and Netanyahu stand together and introduce the deal of the century or the steal of the century, uh, basically Sheldon Adelson was sitting right there in the front row. I saw that with his wife and they got some kind of award. Right now, yeah. I, you also mentioned in this article that Nate, that uh, Adelson, uh, his only regret was uh, serving in the U.S. Uh, Army rather than uh, like, uh, you know, uh, serving in the Israeli Army. Israeli Army. I mean, he's sort of uh, it's almost like he's a hologram being beamed from the imagination of some demented anti-Semite. You know, he's he's like a, the he's a literal Israel firster. But here you see him uh, going to bat for the quote unquote American friends and helping them take down what someone I, Mike Pompeo identified as his top target. WikiLeaks walks like a hostile intelligence service and talks like a hostile intelligence service. It has encouraged its followers to find jobs at the CIA in order to obtain intelligence. It's time to call out WikiLeaks for what it really is, a non-state hostile intelligence service often abetted by state actors like Russia. In January of this year, our intelligence committee determined that Russian military intelligence, the GRU, had used WikiLeaks to release data of U.S. victims that the GRU had obtained through cyber operations against the Democratic National Committee. And the report also found that Russia's primary propaganda outlet, RT, has actively collaborated with WikiLeaks. Um, and this is, not a, this is not a role that's unfamiliar for billionaires who want favorable treatment from the U.S. government. I mean, Adelson was fighting, um, I think, a money laundering investigation from the Department of Justice uh, all the way up to 2010 uh, uh, because of his activities in Macau. So uh, I can see any number of reasons why he would have participated in this. One of the interesting things I've learned, though, is that Zohar Lahav one of the main middlemen here who helped recruit Morales, became a good friend of Morales, um, you know, wrote recommendations for him to help him play in the first division, uh, has been fired from Las Vegas Sands. And I just called Zohar Lahav. I obtained his phone number through company emails um, and uh, not company emails, um, through the cell phone data of David Morales because he was constantly calling him in uh, April, 2017. And it was constant, he's constantly calling this Las Vegas phone number. All right. So I called it, so Lahav picks up and I wanted to ask him, have you been fired? But he hung up on me. I'm shocked, there's gambling going on here. Now wait, so, all right, so we know about that guy. He and that guy Nagel, they seem like real shady characters. Uh, And so now we get back to uh, the middle of June uh, and this operation is set up. Let's go from there. Well, the middle of June, I mean, it, it really comes down to December 2017. And I'm sure um, Stefania Morizzi, formerly of La Repubblica, who's been on your show a lot, who has, has done some of the best reporting on Wiki. She's on right after you. 
yeah, and she's coming on after me. Well, I interviewed her for this story and she told me that in December, 2017, that's when she was really getting shaken down at the embassy. They were taking her phones out, taking her backpack and photographing everything. Um, it turns out that pretty much every visitor by December, 2017 to the embassy was having their um, phone opened, uh, SIM numbers were photographed, um, everything was photographed that would have enabled the hacking of the phone. Pam Anderson, a friend of Julian Assange, uh, had her Gmail uh, password stolen by UC Global. Um, all of this was taking place uh, apparently under orders from the quote-unquote American friends. Uh, one of the interesting things I discovered here uh, through review of company emails from UC Global was a target list outlined by David Morales. Obviously, these were U.S. targets. And one of them was Ola Bini, who was a friend of Julian Assange, who was arrested on the same day that Julian was arrested, April 11th. Um, Ola Bini was arrested in Ecuador, where he was living. And he's been in prison ever since. Morales uh, somewhat dubiously, maybe falsely identified him as a hacker. I mean, he was just told he was a hacker. They were obsessed with, Ju uh, with, with Olabini. They were obsessed with Assange's legal team. They were obsessed with Glenn Greenwald. And I've obtained a photograph of Greenwald's passport, which was opened by UC Global. And they photographed a Russian visa on his passport. Um, which is totally consistent with the whole Russiagate hysteria, the narrative of Russiagate, where they're trying to connect every, everyone from Julian on down to Glenn Greenwald to Russia. Glenn had actually just gone to a public media event in Moscow in 2018. Uh, you know, it wasn't like some secret trip to Russia. He was on a panel with a strongly anti-Putin journalist. And when he came back, he was uh, branded as a Kremlin spy by um, MSNBC's Malcolm Nance. So it's really disturbing that a apparent CIA contractor was also trying to make this connection against an American journalist. Um, Julian's uh, legal team was targeted. Uh, Baltasar Garcon, who is you know, his lead lawyer, was actually followed by UC Global spies um, to his home during a meeting with Rafael Correa in Madrid. Um, I also learned that, um, well, he, here's, here's one of the most shocking things that I've learned. Um, in December, 2017, when, it, when the security just ramped up to the point that it became in, it, just oppressive for anyone to visit Julian Assange, it wasn't some coincidence. This had to do with surveillance and what the spies, um, see apparent CIA contractors were detecting, which is that Julian Assange and his lawyers were conceiving a plan for him to exit the embassy by, for instance, him being granted diplomatic immunity by an ally of Ecuador. And then under the Vienna conventions, him being legally freed. And the U.S. wanted to do anything it could to stop this plan from coming to fruition. And it nearly did. Um, it got so close to coming to fruition that, um, that the head of Ecuador's Senaín, which is the Ecuadorian um, intelligence service, Romy Vallejo, visited 
the embassy in London on December 20th, 20th, 2017 to finalize the plan. It all relied on him uh, just making the final preparations. And this was just five days before Assange was planning to leave the embassy. Um, at this point, Morales ordered his team to actually target the head of Ecuador's intelligence services to open his phone, um, to open the cameras, to steal uh, inf private information inside his phones. So on, this was December 20th. Morales had all that information that night. On December 21st, the day after the meeting, U.S. prosecutors filed their secret charges against Julian Assange in a federal court in Alexandria, Virginia. So the secret indictment of Assange was a direct result of this uh, plan for him to get diplomatic immunity. I've also learned, according to a source who was involved in the plan for him to exit the embassy, that the U.S. ambassador to Ecuador, Todd Chapman, warned Ecuadorian authorities not to execute the plan. He actually told them, I know about your plan. I know what you're doing. Do not do it, which clearly shows US intelligence, a U.S. intelligence role in the spying here. I've also learned through a source, through this source, that one of the Ecuadorian officials who was involved in the plan returned to Quito uh, and took a government vehicle from the airport, which was promptly held up by masked gunmen who robbed him of his laptop, which contained details of the plan. And so that was that. The plan was foiled through this apparent spying and gross misconduct. And uh, we could even uh, deduce that ro a robbery was committed, that just crimes were committed to stop this plan. And then, you know, April 11th, 2019, Julian is hauled out of the embassy into a police van. It was the first time uh, in history, I think, that uh, government allowed a foreign law enforcement agency to enter its sovereign territory to arrest one of its citizens. And so here we are. I've never seen that. I know that uh, the Bishop of, uh, of Panama City allowed uh, the U.S. troops to go in and nab Noriega, uh, you know, 30 years ago. But I've never seen uh, something like this happen in an embassy. Uh, so this really gets ramped up in, in December, as you said. I, I, I was there. Uh, I know Rohrbacher was there. The congressman, Dana Rohrbacher, was there in August. Uh, I went there in September and November. So there, it wasn't ramped up then, although they still, for some reason, they were just getting everybody, uh, from what I understand. And I, there's a picture of my passport that's opened uh, and, and a login sheet. And, you know, it's like, I'm just a comic, man. I got nothing to offer. You know what I mean? But it's, yeah. it's one thing to get me, but to get the friggin' lawyers and the journalists that are involved. I'm, I'm just like, uh, you know, uh, the comic relief here. I mean, and that really happens in December. You think that was it? Once they got the, the uh, information on this meeting and the plan that uh, they had, that was it? Or they continued for a while. What happened after that? Well, after that, the spying continued indefinitely. Um, and, you know, for, for my purposes, uh, you know, there, there wasn't, there wasn't much of a change. It just, it just continued. Uh, we saw a lot of disinformation published in places like the guardian working with, uh, you have Echencio, 
Um, but the yeah. Ecuadorian journalists who are anti-Korea, anti-Assange, who are producing all of this um, disinformation in British media about how working with um, Luke Harding, who is you know just the one of the biggest frauds working in journalism. I don't know what he's done since his fake um, Assange meeting Manafort story, which has yet to be retracted by the Guardian. But they were basically saying all of this was conducted under the watch of Ecuadorian authorities. Right. It's totally right. false. And I think my story, working with court documents, working with witness testimony, shows that the Ecuadorian authorities, uh, at least those who were around the embassy, were themselves being spied on. And this U.S. intelligence apparent trick was created within the surveillance system to feed separate uh, video to the U.S. to allow the U.S., who, the quote-unquote American friends, to control the cameras. And Ecuador was just seeing, the Ecuadorian Senain uh, Security Service was just seeing, you know, CCTV. So this, this should really be significant. I mean, what we're looking at here is gross misconduct that should invalidate any indictment of Julian Assange. These appear to be criminal activities carried out under the watch of a CIA director, Mike Pompeo, who bragged during his event at Texas A&M last year that we cheated, we lied, and we stole in the CIA. Uh, so this should invalidate Julian Assange's extradition to the U.S. And it also suggests that if he does come to the U.S., these same agencies and elements which spied on him and carried out a apparently criminal operation against him will it seek to psychologically break and torture him if he's in their custody well there's no doubt about that uh you don't even have to be tortured you're just just being in uh, one of these like mcc I don't know if you saw this footage of MCC, people there that it's overcrowded and uh, you can't move around. And, uh, you know, COVID is like, uh, like you're breathing in the air. Uh, the, yeah. uh, the, uh, this whole operation, what they've gone through to try to get Julian Assange, uh, how unusual is this? Have you, I mean, you would think that this guy uh, was a mass murderer or something, or uh, held the, the keys to some kind of uh, bomb that could blow up the planet. What is the obsession with him? Well, the obsession with Julian Assange is derived from his effectiveness as a publisher. He was shedding light on the inner workings of U.S. empire. And, you know, and there was something accurate, I think, about, to some degree, in Mike Pompeo's paranoid speech identifying WikiLeaks as a hostile foreign intelligence agency in that Mike Pompeo compared Julian Assange to Philip Agee, who was a CIA whistleblower who released classified material to, you know, counter spy magazine and other leftist publishers that showed criminal activity around the globe, including assassination plots, uh, coup plots, torture by the CIA. Um, Pompeo claimed that AG got um, former CIA um, field officer Richard Helms killed, I think, in Greece. Um, Julian Assange has no responsibility for any American deaths. In fact, a Pentagon investigation found that he and Chelsea Manning 
um, had no role. Didn't the, the, the information they released killed no one, but it really revealed um, not just criminal activity, but uh, very devious activity, undemocratic activity um, in Cablegate. Vault 7 showed that the uh, CIA is capable of opening up smart TVs to spy on people, that it's capable of obfuscating its own presence by implanting code in hacking um, that, that leads people to believe that another hacking agency or hacking collective was responsible. I mean, all of these things the public needs to know um, the government should not be doing in their name. And the U.S. government wants to tamp down on information that was basically reported by the New York Times, Washington Post, The Guardian, and a who's who of mainstream organizations, thanks to WikiLeaks and this really innovative um, publishing platform that Julian created. They're also trying to make an example of him. And I think the lack of outcry that we're seeing from the press makes it easy and possible and almost inevitable that other journalists and publishers who even do less than Assange to embarrass the U.S. empire will be targeted in a similar way, will be forcibly muzzled through illegal means and are currently being spied on. I think the story hasn't been fully told of the gross misconduct, of the abuses, and the apparently criminal activity targeting Julie, that's targeted Julian Assange through this, um, this hydra, this malicious hydra of UC Global, Las Vegas Sands, and apparently the CIA. And so I think it's more I, than apparent. I think it's obvious that the CIA is involved in this because someone, uh, you know, had, I can't, just can't imagine this like uh, octogenarian guy in Las Vegas who only cares about Israel would yeah. care about Assange. I mean, he was doing, it was a, uh, a sop to, um, obviously to Pompeo, who was totally obsessed. And, and um, the, the other thing I was going to ask you here is uh, getting, because you mentioned uh, Vault 7, and obviously the CIA is not happy with that, uh, what, what they've done, what, what kind of tools they've created, and, and how they got out of the genie's uh, bottle and everything, and people can use it. But Cablegate, you, you've uh, said before that there was a lot that came out of Cablegate that you yourself uh, uh, were able to use. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've relied heavily on Cablegate just to show how the U.S., through these regime change cutouts, like the National Endowment for Democracy, um, USAID, how they're basically paying foreign opposition parties to push regime change operations, uh, how they're meddling in elections uh, in countries that are targeted for regime change, like Nicaragua or Venezuela, um, and help provide the backdrop to the Hong Kong protests, where you had all of these uh, NGOs and figures who are being backed up and even trained by the U.S. government or U.S. government-related entities uh, staged this these like months-long violent riots aimed at you know recolonizing Hong Kong. But you know, I mean, people can debate me on that. They can say you know they were right to do that. You know, I don't like China, whatever. But facts are facts, and the fact was that in these State Department cables, you could see which foreign opposition movements were being backed by the US. And it's coming at a time when 
the U.S. is in a state of complete hysteria over alleged Russian meddling because Russia, Russia's FSB or GRU supposedly hacked the emails of John Podesta and the DNC. Even if they had, I don't think that they flipped the election, but that's, we're, in, we're in a state of hysteria. If that's Russia's retaliation uh, to what was exposed in Cablegate, which the US was doing to it and on its periphery, then it's basically an elegant response. And I think that's the, that's, that's the source of the resentment to Julian Assange, who basically just made it possible to publish those emails and those cables and was willing to do so. I mean, he just had the chutzpah to do so. Also, uh, you know, those cables, I believe, uh, show uh, just massive financial uh, crimes by uh, various governments. Uh, and, and also Honduras, I believe, there's, uh, you got some information about the Honduran coup and uh, stuff on uh, Syria and, uh, and uh, in, uh, in Libya, if I might. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, in Syria, you could clearly see who among the opposition were U.S. informants. Um, you know, most of the cables came before the proxy war began in Syria. But there, there's just there's so much that still hasn't been released. Um, but this is what Julian Assange is being prosecuted for. He's facing 17 charges under the Espionage Act and one more, and the charges carry a maximum penalty of 175 years in prison. He's not a U.S. citizen. He's an Australian citizen. Australia, acting as the stooge of the U.S., has done nothing to speak up for him. He's being tortured, according to U.N. Special Rapporteur on Torture, Niels Melzer. He's being held in a prison right now where he is you know, stacked up with people who are being infected with coronavirus, and he faces extradition to a country, the U.S., which is certain to torture him at the very least by putting him in a maximum security prison, denying him contact with uh, his lawyers or with anyone, basically holding him in solitary. That is torture. And we should add, Randy, because you, you were a witness to this, um, in the court where uh, Julian's first hearing, his first extradition hearing was held uh, next to Belmarsh Prison, he was, uh, there were U.S. officials in the court advising British prosecutors. Yeah. What I've learned is that a um, high-profile barrister, female barrister representing Las Vegas Sands attempted to gain entry to the court, asked the judge if she, uh, if she could um, observe the proceedings. Um, she was rejected, but this really shows uh, serious interest on the part of Sheldon Adelson. Well, wow, that's that's a bombshell there in and of itself. Uh, yeah, the I was there uh, for that for three of the four days, and it was really uh, disgraceful, disgusting, and deplorable uh, to uh, and depressing to to watch uh, those proceedings, uh, you know, take place. And he being in this glass box, uh, uh, I'd like to see uh, the world should see that glass box that he was in. I think it's in everyone's interest to see that glass box that he was in in the back of the room with the plexiglass. Hopefully somebody out there has like clear photos and puts them out there. They should uh, give them uh, to you or somebody. It's a cry. If anybody's got anything, get them out there. Let the people see he was treated like Eichmann. I've seen 
the, the Israeli uh, trial of, uh, of, uh, of Eichmann in 61, he's in a similar kind of situation where he's surrounded by this bulletproof plexiglass uh, combo uh, cage in the back, but he actually has headphones on. He can hear the judge and uh, he can uh, communicate with his attorneys. Assange is not even accorded that. Yeah. Yeah. Eichmann, who made sure the trains ran on time, could talk to his attorneys. Uh, but you were there and you say that Julian was unable to. Uh, I mean, I, I just know if you're in a courtroom and you can't talk to your attorneys in real time, you're at a serious disadvantage. Beyond that, uh, that, that kind of arrangement, what you described, and um, given the amount of surveillance that Julian's been under, it appears to be a further violation of attorney-client privilege. Uh, they could surveil or easily listen in on those conversations. The, the, um, whatever is happening to him right now, it, and it's going to take years for this to resolve itself. He, if he survives this corona outbreak at, at, uh, at Belmorish, if he survives that and survives the psychological and physical torture on top of that, uh, this could go on for years. And he's neutralized, and the example's being set, and this has to deter other people from doing it. And at least, let me ask you this, are people afraid to give uh, documents now because of the treatment, like whistleblowers? I mean, not like the guy, in, in the whistleblower, you know, with that phone call with Trump, not that guy, that type. I'm talking about whistleblowers that got real heavy stuff on the national security state, are they now deterred because of the treatment? Even if he wins in three or four years, he'll still be stuck in this horrible situation. Well, without giving any details, uh, in my experience, yes. Yes. All right. That's a that's it. One syllable answer. All right. So it's 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 working. All right, Max. Is there anything else you can tell us about UC Global? Uh, here uh, that uh, that we didn't see in today's uh, article uh, in, in at the great uh, the gray zone the gray zone it used to be called the gray zone project gray zone news uh, at Twitter right is it yeah, gray it's, zone it's news Twitter, it's, the, at, it's at, on Twitter at the gray zone news and it's online at the gray zone dot com yeah it's a great gray with, gray with an a yeah uh, we're no longer the gray zone project because it's just a real fact yeah we're, we're a fact on the ground are, are you going to write more on this or was is today's piece uh basically you, you covered a lot there i don't know what else you you're going to yeah, follow up on it pretty much covered the broad outlines of the piece um there actually is some there there is a lot more to it and there's more that there's more that i have to report so i would definitely stay tuned for some follow-ups um i think that the follow-ups will um, be almost as shocking as this story, uh, which really, besides introducing readers to the middlemen uh, who liaised between, apparently liaised between U.S. intelligence, uh, Adelson's financial and political empire, and this UC Global contractor, uh, really put all of the pieces of this abusive and probably illegal surveillance operation together, but there are going to be more elements to it, um, possibly related to uh, David Morales playing in the first division. So that's all I'll say. All right, well, 
Good. I'll stay right here, uh, locked down in, in the fourth division, uh, sweepy league. All right. So um, you're in the first division of journalism. Uh, you're, you're a real journalist. And uh, thank you for all that you do, uh, Max Blumenthal. And um, we'll see you soon. And we're going to go and talk right now. We'll be right back with uh, the uh, great Italian uh, investigative journalist, uh, Stefania Morizzi. Thanks a lot, Randy. Thank you, Max. Alla mattina, appena alzata, oh bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, 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 alla mattina, appena alzata, irrisaia mi toccamba. Zanzare, oh bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, 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 e fra gli insetti, e le zanzare, un duro lavoro mi tocca fa, oh mamma mia. Tormento, oh bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, 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 oh, mamma mia, oh che tormento. Okay, um, nice music. Uh, hi, I'm Randy Credico, uh, back. Uh, this is Randy Credico live on the fly, uh, Assange Countdown to Freedom. And uh, we are now being joined uh, by the uh, investigative journalist that uh, Max was talking about in the previous uh, segment, and that is the well-respected, um, esteemed uh, investigative uh, journalist uh, now at Infacto, uh, out of Italy. And uh, she is a, to me, you're a dear friend of mine, Stefania. Stefania Morizzi, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Randy. Thanks. The last time I saw you was at the trial. And before we talk about UC Global, just like give me a minute about your impression, just an overview of that farce that uh, we witnessed for uh, four days. Well, first of all, it was really hard to follow the case because even if I was inside the courtroom, which in theory would be the best place to stay and to um, uh, be allowed to follow the case. I could barely hear something like uh, 40, no, 60% of the hearing because the judge was speaking very lowly and no one there to ask her to speak louder and the lawyers were speaking uh, lower and so we miss, I miss a lot of <laughs> a big part of the hearing and uh, even other colleagues miss it. And you know, it's uh, very, it was very, very, for me, it was very hard to see Julian after maybe the last time I met him was in November, 2018. And then I, I saw him again at the hearing and I was shocked to look at him 
and to look how he was treated behind that glass wall as a very dangerous criminal. You know, it's, it was really shocking for me. It was really shocking to realize how he is being treated and how his uh, health is collapsing further, you know? Yeah, it was obvious to you, um, and it must have been difficult. I've only known him for uh, about three and a half years, and you've known him for a long time, uh, along with uh, partnering, uh, you know, partnering with um, with uh, Snowden and Glenn Greenwald uh, on their release. You uh, have partnered with uh, WikiLeaks for the past ten years, um, and so in that time between then and now, I know you have become very good friends with him. So it must have been painful to see him being treated like uh, Eichmann was uh, in Israel when he was on trial in, in a glass uh, in, encampment. And uh, at least Eichmann had access to his lawyers, where Julie doesn't have access to his lawyers. Well, uh, first of all, I would like to clarify that my um, sadness goes farther than uh, being a friend of Julian. The problem is that the sadness is due to the fact that as a journalist, I published the very same documents and information he published. And I have done this for the last 11 years because the first time I published something in partnership with WikiLeaks was in August 2009, which means cool. 11 years ago. Wow. So, and I, since then, I never stopped publishing documents partnering with WikiLeaks and I have published the very same information and as a journalist I have never had, had any problem so for me it's sad as a journalist before than being um, being sad as a human being which is of course true but as a journalist really sad because I cannot tolerate this double standard I'm completely safe I have never had any trouble, any problem. No one put me in prison. No one ever questioned me. No one, um, I never lost my freedom, whereas he has never known freedom again. You know, I can accept this, you know. You, but you published everything that he, including uh, uh, Vault 7, you put the material out there. And uh, that's, I think, one of the main reasons why they uh, are after him is that they're so angry or they don't want any more of that Vault 7 stuff to get out. But you published everything, and you're right. They never went after you. Never, ever. You know, never, 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 ever. And we have always partnered. Of course, there are minor uh, releases which were done without uh, uh, media partners, but very few of them. But uh, I work on all of them, and I can tell you that behind releases, there, are, there is a lot of hard journalistic work. Right. So, I mean, uh, whenever I look at how he has been treated, and whenever I look at the fact that the weekly staff has been under investigation since 2010, by the grand jury in Alexandria, Virginia. I'm very, you know, I'm very upset because uh, it's, uh, it's an obvious abuse. I mean, we traditional journalists never experienced any trouble and they did a lot of trouble. So they are just after them, you know? Yeah, I, I, very good point uh, on that. They, they, they don't go after the New York Times, the Guardian, which released the names 
The Guardian, uh, back in uh, uh, 2011, they released the names of individuals. Um, so they uh, obviously, they took you very seriously, um, the, the CIA, uh, to the point where uh, you were uh, one of the key focuses of this uh, UC global operation that uh, Max just laid out, this massive UC global operation. And it all begins, I believe, uh, in December of 2017. Can you walk us through that day uh, in uh, December 2017 with the backpack and all? Basically, uh, I have no evidence that uh, it was the CIA. I know that there are protected witnesses uh, who basically testified that these materials were shared with the U.S. intelligence. And of course, I was targeted, and I didn't realize I was targeted to that extent because we never had traveled to London. I was uh, basically, uh, I was put into the condition of traveling with my phones, uh, with uh, my computers. Sometimes I was able to travel without any computer, any electronic devices, but phones were still really important. As you know, we journalists have to travel with phones. We have to be able to stay in touch with our editors, with our, with our sources and so on. So uh, I went to the embassy at the end of 2017. It was uh, 29 of December and 30 of December 2017. And I realized something was uh, really unusual because as soon as I arrived, they seized my backpack, which never happened before because I have always been able to access the embassy and to meet Julian together with, with bringing my backpack. And of course, they, the security guards for UC Global were, have always done security checks but they never seized my backpack before. So when I, they seized my backpack, I protested. They said, look, I have uh, sensitive materials. I have my notes. I have whatever. They said, uh, you are not allowed to bring your backpack. So at that point, I realized something really unusual. And I was not even able to bring a pen to meet Julian and to take notes. I was not even allowed to bring um, my block notes or whatever. And as uh, soon as I get back from the embassy, I, I contacted my editors at La Repubblica and they said, look, uh, it's uh, really weird because my backpack was seized. It never happened before. I really don't know what is going on. And of course, I protested, and uh, of course, I I disagree with the, with my backpack being seized. And uh, of course, the security guards told me that never they would never have touched my stuff and so on. And so I realized that it was a completely unusual, highly unusual, and now in uh, last year, I discovered that I basically opened my backpack, got access to my devices, to my USB sticks, where I had very important information. Fortunately, it was encrypted. So fortunately, I have protected my sources from this point of view. 
but you never know. You never know whether they have been able to basically to copy the file and to decrypt it because you don't know how when you have the entire force of the state against you, you never know whether they have some way to access your encrypted documents and stuff. So I'm really furious about this because, uh, uh, you know, I'm a journalist. So I mean, our, my documents are journalistic materials. They are not supposed to access these materials. They are not supposed, this is the kind of thing you expect in a regime. In a regime, you expect these kind of things, but you don't expect these kind of things in a democracy, you know? Right. So, so now that day when you left and you spoke to your editors, you weren't sure what they took, what they copied, and, uh, but you suspected something happened. But you always knew that you were being watched uh, every time you were visiting him. Uh, you know, I remember you were there in November when I was there covering your FOIA uh, hearing. Um, and uh, we talked about it and, you know, uh, I was told to, well, when I got into the room at the Z, as soon as I got there and they, I got into the room, I come back downstairs and they say, change, you tell them, change the room. I don't like the view or it reminds me of something too sad. Um, but I mean, you suspected all along prior that you might have been um, uh, followed or under surveillance or certainly a person of interest. And uh, is that what you thought afterwards uh, for sure? Or did you already suspect this was happening? Look, um, I had um, many experience, weird experience. For example, back in 2013, when I was working on the Snowden files, I have experienced tailing, aggressive tailings, uh, aggressive tailing for, um, I suppose, for intimidation purpose. And I immediately informed my editors, and of course, you know, there is no way what, what should have done. I, you cannot file a criminal complaint because you, you have been tailed. Uh, but then in 2015, something new, uh, strange things happened. For example, I was targeted physically. I was stolen a backpack with important information. And that was four months before we published the NSA intercept of uh, Berlusconi, our prime former minister, uh, prime minister. Um, and basically uh, that kind of materials, the Berlusconi intercept by the NSA, we, we revealed that uh, in those interception thanks to the to WikiLeaks. And four months before I was targeted in Rome uh, while traveling from the airport to the center of the city. And I was targeted and uh, I immediately filed a criminal complaint at the police in Rome. And so I, I hope the police would investigate this, but never heard again. You know, I never heard the game. And that was four months before we exposed the NSA interception of our prime former, former uh, prime minister Berlusconi. Then uh, I experienced disruption in my communications. For example, my editors were calling me or sending emails 
and I didn't get anything. And they were, uh, finally, they were calling me and they were asking me why you are not replying. And I would say, look, I never received anything. I have no calls on my phone. I have no emails. I have no text messages. So that's why I'm not replying you. And I ask experts why I experienced such disruption in my communications. And no one was able to provide a uh, sensible explanation. They would say, we don't know, I don't know. I was sending emails to people and these emails never reached the intended recipients. Like for example, I sent four emails to Bill Binney and he got nothing. And uh, you know, uh, other friends were sending emails to me and the emails got lost. So I experienced this disruption. So I was wondering why I was experiencing this disruption. To these days, I have no idea why, but at the end of the day in 2009, in 2019, I discovered this UC Global Targeting. And so I wonder whether this targeting has anything to do with this disruption, you know? Yeah, well, you know, it, it obviously, uh, you've partnered with uh, people that are um, despised and uh, being hunted down by uh, U.S. intelligence agencies, intelligence agencies, and, uh, you know, no one has worked uh, any more closely than you have. So I, it, it, it's like, you know, really uh, an obvious deduction that they, they would uh, be... Uh, uh, be very interested in you. So in 2019, uh, this stuff when UC Global comes out, and uh, how did you discover it, and what was your reaction? Well, I, I was upset because I had very important documentation in my encrypted uh, files. So I'm still upset because probably I, I'm sure they tried to copy. I'm not sure whether they were able to, they have been able to decrypt these files, but that's very important information. I mean, we journalists always travel with uh, important information because people talk to us, people provide documents to us. And of course we have to travel with this material because what can we do? We cannot uh, go around uh, the city and uh, ask people we don't know whether they can help us with uh, keeping our uh, files safe or keeping our phones safe. So, I mean, it was upsetting for me. I was really, I'm still upset. I'm, I still want to discover whether they have been able to access my documents. And, you know, for me, it's really important because uh, you have to realize there is a reason why I started uh, working with WikiLeaks uh, for my newspaper back in 2009. I did so because one of my sources was in trouble and she had stopped talking to me. And at that point, I realized I needed better source protection. And since I am a mathematician, so I, I have a degree in mathematics, for me, it was natural to look at cryptography as a way to protect my sources. And it was one of my sources inside the world of cryptography, which who basically told me, you should have a look on their work. You should have a look on, on what they are doing. And that was back in 2009 when no one had 
very, very few people had even heard of WikiLeaks. So I started uh, this kind of work because I had concern with my, uh, about my sources and I wanted to use cryptography to protect my sources. And now, 11 years after, I discovered that my files are probably in the hands of the CIA and I want to discover whether they have been able to open to decrypt it and access the information because for me it is a stress test test you know i want to discover whether i finally after 11 years of this journey i have been able to protect my sources well you know i, I on the day that you found out and then they started uh, when did you see um you know uh, some of the material that was provided in the in the spanish courtroom uh, including the video of you, and, 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 and what, what was your response when you saw the video surveillance of you, which we are showing uh, right now? Well, in a sense, the video was expected because cameras uh, were everywhere, so we expected um, that kind of filming. Well, we didn't expect the cameras uh, being equipped with audio, being able to uh, basically get our conversations. And we didn't expect uh, our phones being as crew, of course. And you know, you have to realize that they took pictures of my chargers, of every devices I had, of my USB sticks, of my chargers, of my be uh, power bank, whatever. And I wonder why they took pictures, you yeah. know? Well, so so they, they got these pictures and the video that we're looking at, uh, and uh, it must have been when you saw that uh, and you heard the audio or whatever, it must have been a little chilling for you. I mean, yeah, feel like yeah. an invasion of uh, of your you're being violated, right? Absolutely, a deep sense of violation, you know, because as I said, these kind of things are usually done by regimes. So you expect these kind of things if you travel to China, if you travel to the usual regime, but you don't expect this kind of targeting inside an embassy where you basically, uh, you know that uh, Ecuador had granted Julian Assange asylum, so he was supposed to protect him. You didn't expect such heavy targeting, you know? Yeah. So I, I suppose uh, when you saw that, uh, your reaction was, I mean, uh, well, how were you going to address it and how did you address it? Did, did you uh, talk to the Spanish lawyers who are working for Assange? Uh, did you get the material? Did you, did, did uh, uh, you write an article about it? What did you do? Did you go to, go to court, uh, find, uh, file an amicus brief or anything? Look, I absolutely want to make these people accountable. I absolutely want to make the UC Global people accountable, the Ecuadorian authorities accountable, because I wonder whether they authorized them to do this kind of operation, because I wonder how UC Global acted. I, I am very skeptical they took this initiative and they didn't inform the Ecuadorian authorities. I want to make the U.S. authorities accountable because if it is true, as the um, protected witnesses say, 
uh, that this information and this data were shared by, with the US intelligence, I absolutely want to make them accountable. I'm completely upset that they got access to my materials. They knew I was a journalist. I was visiting him as a journalist. I was not visiting him as a friend, as his mother, as his father or whatever. I was visiting and even when visiting, we were discussing journalistic matters. We were not discussing our personal lives or our uh, private uh, matters, you know? So it's uh, completely unacceptable that they, that they basically do these kind of things to journalists. You expect these kind of things, these kind of targetings by okay. very repressive regimes, you right. know? Yeah, well, it's something you would expect in uh, Turkey or uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, exactly. you know, countries of, of that nature. Um, uh, now, so you have this, uh, are, are, are you uh, also Sheldon Adelson, uh, you know, uh, who was financing, he was the in-between Pompeo and uh, doing the bidding of Pompeo, he's paying for it. Uh, what, what was your response to that, that a U.S. citizen uh, was underwriting uh, David Morales's work? I mean, it's the whole the whole story is completely unbelievable. It's completely uh, it's so dirty. It's uh, we have seen all sorts of of initiative of um, targeting uh, of WikiLeaks by you know all sorts of um, intelligence, private intelligence, like for example, when in 2011 uh, we had that anti-wikileaks plan by palantir the company which is now which has basically spent years uh, cooperating with the cia in iraq in afghanistan and uh, is a, a very controversial company very a secretive company. So we expected all sorts of tricks but we didn't expect such um, you know, uh, Orwellian, such, uh, I mean, such dirty, dirty, dirty targeting, you know? Yeah, I, I, I guess I'm naive. I mean, because I remember I was there. We had coffee uh, several times and, uh, and I spoke to you. I went to uh, that, uh, that great case that was put on by, uh, by uh, Ms. Dehan, Estelle uh, Dehan and Jennifer Robinson and the other lawyer. Uh, it was, uh, and you went there and I, and, uh, you know, th that was a, a great moment in the history of this entire saga, saga that, uh, that you participated in. And I think you self-financed it. And I know you have uh, a pending um, uh, resolution of your FOIA request. And uh, I suppose uh, that's when we'll get you back on. Uh, to talk about that. I don't want to burn you out on all of this now. I want to kind of keep it to this UC Global. Uh, any, any, um, any last words about UC Global and what kind of threat it poses, uh, not just them, but the, their, their puppeteers, what it poses uh, to a free speech and free association? Look, they have to pay a price. They have to make, we have to make them accountable because we cannot tolerate that journalists are targeted these ways as uh, in regimes. We absolutely cannot tolerate this. So we absolutely have to uh, bring them to the court and to 
to go to prison to pay for <laughs> their criminal acts and we absolutely have to do this because otherwise if they can do these kind of things and nothing happen this provide you a measure this provide you uh, yes this provide you a measure what can happen uh, with journalists trying to investigate the highest level of powers because they are targeting WikiLeaks precisely because they basically WikiLeaks targets the highest level of powers the CIA the Pentagon the the NSA and that's why they are targeting WikiLeaks so I absolutely want to fight this case I absolutely want to bring them to the court because I cannot they cannot go out with this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I know you are a determined, resolute, and tireless uh, uh, truth teller and uh, someone that seeks uh, justice. And you're not going to be deterred uh, pursuing uh, the, uh, the criminals that, uh, that are behind uh, this matter. I know you, and uh, you, you do not let up. And uh, I... Uh, anyone that thinks uh, that you will, they're on a fool's errand. And I just want to say, I appreciate all the work that you have done over the years. Uh, and it, it really is an honor to know you. And I, I, I just want once again to express my gratitude uh, for all the sacrifices you have made. I know you'll, you'll say you're just doing your job, but you make a lot of sacrifices because you could, I know you're such a great writer, you could do it in a commercial uh, venue if you wanted to and made a lot of money and do some jet setting. But you know, you're one of the few that, that turns that down and uh, goes the, uh, on the honor route. And it's just too bad that more people don't follow your lead. I think there are many journalists who try to do the good work and the right work and and it's more and more difficult because you know you you have this um, media landscape which is a complete disaster because basically you have this media landscape when billionaires own these uh, media and they have huge interests financial interests and of course they will never have a uh, support uh, revealing uh, um, revealing secret files about the NSA or the CIA or the Pentagon because you know you don't it doesn't gain you any powerful friend at the end of the day and it, yeah. it really gain you very dangerous and powerful enemies that's why uh, you you don't see a lot of this kind of reporting you know if you look at what uh, basically there is um, a magnificent article by james ryson who is the pulitzer prize um, now working for the intercept and he basically tell the story of how it worked at the New York Times, when they had massive scoops about the CIA, the NSA, or the Pentagon. And what you can read in his article is basically a, his, a, a um, long history of compromise, where the New York Times editors basically uh, consulted, compromised with, um, with the CIA, with the US authorities, and they basically accepted not to publish very compromising information or publishing after 
uh, a year or maybe after the election. So, you know, it's uh, imagine what it means to have WikiLeaks not compromising at all. Imagine right. what it means, you know, in such a landscape to have a new aggressive media organization, you know? Yes, well, you know, uh, Stefania, there are other journalists and they're in this book here and friends of his um, here uh, called uh, In Defense of uh, Julian Assange. And you're in there with a, a beautiful uh, 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 column or article and you can get this and I recommend people. These are some of the few out there that uh, have been there from the uh, for a long time for Julian Assange. I, I appreciate you uh, being part of, of this uh, program, special program on UC Global today. Uh, and uh, we will uh, talk to you very soon uh, once you uh, find, like I said, a resolution to the uh, FOIA uh, problem that uh, you've been fighting for for, I guess, six or seven years. Thank you very much. From Infacto, Thank you, Randy. Uh, Thank you. Stefani Morici. Thank you, Stefani. Thank you, Randy. Thanks so much. We will be right back, folks, um, in uh, just a minute for some closing remarks. Oh, Badoglio, Pietro Badoglio, ingrassato dal fascio littorio, col tuo degno compare Vittorio, ci hai già rotto abbastanza i coglioni. Plasmaidi, farei, plasmaidi, farei, plasmaidi, plasmaidi, farei, plasmaidi, farei, plasmaidi, russissi, plasmaidi, falu, nonno, tutto questo salvarti non può. Ti ricordi quando eri fascista e facevi il saluto romano o dal duce stringevi la mano, sei davvero un gran bel porcaccio. Ti ricordi l'impresa d'Etiopia e il ducato di Addis Abeba, meritavi di prender la meba ed invece facevi milioni. Ti ricordi la guerra di Francia che l'Italia copriva d'infamia, ma tu intanto prendevi la mancia e col duce facevi spezione. Ti ricordi la guerra di Grecia e i soldati mandati al macello ed allora per farti più bello rassegnavi le tue dimissioni. Ok, Stefani Marizzi, what a... Um really special individual and I want to thank Kurt. I want to thank Max Blumenthal uh, for uh, appearing today and sharing uh, his uh, uh, thoughts on his his bombshell uh, spectacular um, new article in the Gray Zone on UC Global. You can get it. Go to thegrayzone.com. I'm Randy Credico. Once again, this is Randy Credico live on the fly. If you'd like to uh, help us uh, continue this uh, programming, which has now been, um, we've doubled. We do, instead of one a week, we're doing at least two a week. Uh, and uh, you can go to AssangeCountdownToFreedom.com and, and uh, make a small donation just so we can pay our bills and, and continue doing this until the uh, uh, continuation of the hearing uh, on extradition in September. I want to thank uh, Kelly Lane, uh, the engineer uh, out of North Carolina. I want to thank Jimmy Sunderland, uh, the editor uh, out of uh, Lake Arrowhead, California. I want to thank Margaret Ratner, Kunzer, for uh, putting the uh, 
program notes together. And I want to thank her in description. And I want to thank her uh, daughter, Sarah Kunstler, the lawyer, uh, uh, who also is our webmaster. And she puts all of this stuff. Uh, and it's like a lot of work, too. And so I thank all of those people for helping us out. See, I'm surrounded by four wonderful women here. Uh, but we're missing a lot of the Scandinavia. Please contact us. All right, uh, we're going to go out uh, now, folks. Um, I have no idea what it is, but we're going out with it. See you uh, very soon in a couple of days. Ad ascoltarmi state Canto il delitto di quei galeotti Che con gran rabbia vollero trucidare Il deputato Giacomo Matteotti erano tanti, viola, rossi e tumi, il capo della banda, Benito Mussolini. Matteotti avean trovato Mentre che stava andando al Parlamento Venne su di una macchina caricato Da quegli ignobili della banda nera in mezzo a un bosco fu trasportato là e quei vili aguzzini gli disser con furor. Perché tu il fascismo hai sempre odiato Ora dovrai morire qui sull'istante E dopo averlo accorto, bastonato Di pugnalate gliene dieder tante Così per mano di quei vili traditori Moriva Matteotti, capo dei lavoratori.